All right, good morning, everybody. A new intro song. It was a little melodramatic, don't you think? The chorus at the end there. But, you know, it was fun making. So good morning, everybody. Uh, good morning, uh, Vanessa Byrne, Prognostic, Solid, Nick Lorenzen, J.M. Grassi, Mimi M. Uh, Lion, Lion Lays With Lamb is what we will be calling you. That is your, that's your native name, Mimi M. Lion Lays With Lamb, J.M. Grassi, Broken Bear, Small Axe, Walking Hug. We're all here. Okay, welcome, everybody. God bless all of you beautiful people. Um, Interverse Podcast here. I'm going to be doing a show with him on Vibrant. Uh, we just switched the date, but that looks that's going to be fun. So, welcome everybody to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Marty Leeds. I'm your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart. And today we're going to be doing Mark chapter 14. We're just going to keep on. We only have two more chapters and we'll be done with the book of Mark. <laughs> that's crazy. I never thought I'd do anything like this. Never in my life did I think I'd be doing... 15, 16, whatever it is. How many, uh, 16 chapters in Mark. I think we're going to end up doing like 18, <laughs> 18 services of sermons on Mark. I never thought I'd do anything like that. But here we are. Life <clears throat> takes you on a trip, doesn't it? Okay, before we get going, there's 72 verses in this, so there's a lot to cover. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gloss over some of this just because there is so much to cover. So um, just so you know, I want to make this as... Tight as possible. I'm trying to keep these about an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes because I know people are busy and I appreciate your time. So, but before we get on to Mark, let's do a prayer. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us heartily rejoice in the strength of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and show ourselves glad in him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a, and a great king above all gods. In his hand are all the corners of the earth. And the strength of the hills is his also, and the sea is his, and he made it, and his hands prepared the dry land. O come, let us worship and fall down and kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is the Lord our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. O worship the Lord in the beauty of wholeness, let the whole earth stand in awe of him. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth, and with righteousness to judge the world and the peoples with his truth. Amen. All right, before we get going, I just want to say a few things. We do have uh, Bibles and rosaries back in stock. We're actually making them, um, not the Bible, but uh, Jennifer's making the rosaries at home now. So these are back in stock. If anybody is interested in getting a Bible and rosary, um, nice little package. We may have to charge a little bit more just because they were. it ends up taking a lot of time and putting it together. But it's a great little thing. Everybody that's gotten them thus far has been really happy. They're cool little Bibles. They're great rosaries. And now Jennifer's making them um, from, I think we have like three or four more. And then from there on, she'll be making them. So... Also, I spent the last, oh, I don't know how many days, just completely lost in this computer and editing uh, Pie in the English Alphabets Collection Volume 1 through 3. And it's pretty much done being edited. I'm writing two more chapters that I'm adding to it, and then this baby will be done. Then I'm sending it to Jennifer, the editor and indexer, and then she'll curse at me for a week. So there's that. And then also uh, I have uh, Peacock's Tales available and, of course, uh, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, which is the book. And then I'll, I'll put a package together putting all of these together, so all three books um, in one. So, okay, let's do it. We're going to talk about today. This is Mark chapter 14, the, uh, Mark chapter 14, the kiss of Judas. The Bibles are super nice. Thank you very much. Okay, let's get into it. Lots to cover. Pretty much, uh, like I said, we're going to gloss over some of this just because it's 72 verses and I, I, I appreciate your time and we've got a lot to cover and that sort of thing. But um, 
this whole this whole thing, this whole chapter is basically about one thing, essentially one thing. When you get down to the esoteric, to the metaphysical, um, uh, the lesson, uh, the the whatever the lesson or the message that's being trying to be purveyed to us is basically death and resurrection. It's basically going from the lower self to the higher self. That's what this the, the majority of this chapter is all about. Okay, so when we see, we're going to see it couched in terms of literalism, and we're going to go straight to the anagogic today, in other words. So, let's do it. Mark chapter 14, number 1. After two days was the feast of the Passover, and, an, uh, and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes, we know about them, don't we, sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. Of course, they're talking about Jesus. So, um, basically, on the Passover, during Passover, they wanted to take Jesus and kill him. And they wanted to do it with their craft. What is their craft? What do you think when you talk about a craft? It's their witchcraft. That's what they're, that's what they're doing. Um, but they said, no, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. So they wanted to kill Jesus on the Passover, right? Very sacred, holy day to the Jews. And they want, instead of sacrificing a lamb, they wanted to sacrifice Jesus. And we'll get into all this in just a second here. Just laying the foundation. Um, which is when you, when you really look at it is completely psychopathic and satanic. So it, it, think about this. They wanted to take the light of the world and instead of sacrificing a sheep, a lamb, they wanted to sacrifice Jesus. This is, this is satanic ritual sacrifice. That's what, that's the first two lines of this, of Mark 14. Good morning, everybody. So after two days was the feast of the Passover, so of the unleavened bread. So ultimately what we're going to talk about today is in the story of them coming to kill Jesus is the story of the death and resurrection, the story, the story of the soul's journey. Okay. So, so how you might, uh, so, so sorry, let me stop here. After two days was the feast of the Passover. Let's talk about Passover and the unleavened bread. We know what leaven is. So when you talk about the symbolism of the bread, the bread of life, right? That's what we all seek. They're feasting on unleavened bread. What's leaven? Leaven is a substance, typically yeast, that is used in dough to make it rise. So this bread that they were eating wasn't rising. It was unleavened. You can already see the symbolism that's happening here. What are we, what are we here to do? We're to arise, rise with Aries, up to the Lamb, to the Ram of God, right to the top, and we are to rise. They're serving bread that don't rise. Pretty, pretty straightforward symbolism there. And the chief priests and the scribes, that's who's eating that bread that doesn't rise, sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. And they were going to do this, and they would have happily done this, but the people knew that St. John was a, was a prophet, and he called, he, you know, he announced Jesus, and they knew Jesus was a prophet, so they would have killed him, but then they would have been like, oh, then the people are going to come and try to kill us, right? They, you know, then the people are going to be in uproar. The Passover is an important, obviously an important uh, uh, um you know, ceremony and ritual and celebration, holiday, if you will, for the Jews. But it's also a reference to, uh, in Christianity, it's referenced in Christianity as well, in Easter. Um, the Passover sacrifice is where they normally, they, they go and they take a lamb and they kill it, right? They sacrifice it. Now, by the way, this is all supposed to be astrobiological and astrotheological. Astrological and, you know, there's the, the idea that you need to go sacrifice a lamb and that's going to please God is ridiculous, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's childish is really what it is. God's not going to be like, oh, nice, you killed that animal for me. Thanks. No, this is all deep symbolism to talk about what's going on in here and what's going on up there. Okay? So here we have the lamb, the Passover, the Paschal lamb, and Israelites to ritually slaughter on the evening of the Passover, right? 
Um, and Easter and Passover are linked, right? So you have Easter is linked to Jewish Passover by its name. And the name is the Paschal Lamb, okay? So the Gospels, both the crucifixion and the resurrection, took place during this time, Passover. So, um, and we know, once again, these are linked just from the, just from the title, Paschal. It's relating to Easter, relating to Jewish Passover. It's the time of the Lamb. Now, what we're going to see is, what is this Passover ultimately talking about? Well, we already know what the Passover, I mean, you know, uh, spoiler alert, Jesus is put on a cross, dies, and then three days later, he's born again. So we already know that that's going to happen. We already know that there is going to be a sacrifice, and it's going to be the lamb. What is it? And so we know that that's what this is all about. Metaphysically, what is this about, though? What does it mean to pass over? What you're doing is you're passing over from your lower state to your higher state. And that's what this entire chapter is about, as we'll see. We know when, think about the, think about the, uh, the, the language of the terminology of, oh, he, he passed over. He passed over to the other side. What is it? What is the meaning of the phrase pass over to the other side? Passing over to the other side is, is an idiom or euphemism for dying. What's the origin of this? Passing over to the other side or simply passing over is a euphemism that has its roots in the Bible and the Christian belief in a heavenly afterlife. So, and this allegedly comes from 1684, John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, a Christian author that wrote this. And this is where these terms come from. So Passover, think about this. What are you doing? You're passing over to the other side. Dying, that's what you're doing. And that's exactly what's going on with Christ. He's passing over to the other side. Death, ultimately to be reborn, because that is the script. That is the story. I highly recommend if you missed chapter 13, you shouldn't be watching this because there's a bunch of things that we're going to cover here today that we talked about last time. So um, passing over. So astrologically, the Passover is actually happening around the time of, um, you know, uh, when you look at the, um, you know, the, the sidereal zodiac, right? When you look at the actual stars in the sky as you see them. When is Passover? The dates of Passover are based on the Hebrew calendar from the 15th day of Hebrew month, Nisan, um, which, by the way, the, the symbol of Nisan is a, is a symbol of pi, the car, the car logo is a symbol of pi, in case you guys want to know. So the 15th through the 22nd day. Passover in 2022, it shifts, but it's basically generally around the, these time. This time will be celebrated from April 15th to the 23rd. Well, you can just go on your planisphere there, your planisphere. And you can go and look, well, where's Aries? Where's the lamb? Where's the Paschal lamb, the ram? Where is it in the sky? Well, it's right about the time of April 15th to 22nd, right, you know, right, right around that time. So you'll see, well, why is this thing, why is there a, a celebration of the lamb in Judaism and then Christianity? What, what, what is this based on? You know, well, you just look up, you know, the lamb and the ram is right there and that's why it's being celebrated. Okay, now we're talking about, um, as we know, all of this stuff has astral, astrological correlations. Um, but we also understand that that astrological correlation has a correlation to us. So what is the Passover to us? Well, the Passover is just as we said, it's dying and being reborn, death and resurrection. Uh, this whole thing is about the lower self, um, letting that die, moving away from that, moving from the lower up to the higher. Passover just happens to equal, and this whole thing, once again, we understand this through the anthropocosm, the zodiac man, or astral, you know, biologically. When you understand this in the framework of the human being, right, well, what, what are we talking about here? We're talking about going from the spinal column, right, from here, your, right, your, your member, if you will, all the way up to the lamb, the ram, the paschal lamb. 
and you're going to make that death and resurrection as you move up. Okay? Passover just happens to equal 33. It's the number of bones in the spinal column. You know, you go to a chiropractor. Do you know what the first letters of Cairo are? Chiro. You know what Chiro is? You know how many years Christ uh, lived, according to the Holy Bible? 32 or 33, we're not sure. Because it says he started his ministry around the age of 30 and his ministry lasted 30, uh, three years. So that means Jesus was either 29 or 30 when he started his ministry and he died at three years later, which is 32 or 33. So when we talk about passing over, dying, going over to the other side, that's exactly what the Passover, the, the metaphysical nature of the Passover is all about. And once again, what's going on in here is going on upstairs. And that's exactly what we have. But that we have the exact same thing going on upstairs. There's your lamb. There's your ram. There's your Aries. We're going to arise. Are we not? So passing over, passing over is sacrificing the lower self for the higher self. That's what this whole process is. And we'll see this once again. They use the same, he, Jesus uses the same disciples when he goes up to the high place again. You know, as you'll see, we'll see in just a second. This is what we mean by, uh, so passing, so we're passing over the, basically everything uh, under the heart, passing over the heart into the higher realms, negating all the lower. That's what this whole thing is about. This is where the Aries arise arose. We've talked about this quite a bit. Aries arise arose. Okay. We're, we, we know that where is, where, where, where are we ascending from? Where are we passing over? metaphysically, passing over from the root, the sacral, the solar, and we're passing the heart, and we're moving up to the higher realms. This is the exact, once again, once you understand this template, you take this, it's just like the Trinity. Once you understand this stuff, you can take it and you go, oh, there it is, bloop, and then you take this right in the back of your head and you go, oh, there it is, bloop, and you can take this and it goes, there it is. We already saw this entire process happen in the story, if you've been paying attention, of the story of Cain and Abel. The exact same thing that is referenced in the story of Cain and Abel is being referenced here in Passover. Abel, he brought the firstlings of the, his flock and the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect for Abel. Abel sacrificed his lower self and brought up the higher self, and he brought the fat, he brought the lamb, he brought the paschal lamb up to the high place. And God rewarded him for that. What did Cain do? He's a tiller of the land. He went to the he went down here. We already know what Cain and Abel is. Abel is the spiritual, Cain is the material. Spirit this is the, that's the spiritual heavens up there. That's where Abel, when he sacrificed the firstling of his flock and brought it upstairs. So this is what Passover is all about. We're passing over. Passing over from the lower to the higher. <clears throat> Everybody get that? Okay. Let's move on. <clears throat> so, by the way, this whole metaphysical process, while Christ is doing this in the story, what do we see? This, this whole thing, once again, we have an analog to this happening metaphysically within us. As soon as the chief priests and the scribes they, you know, they, they wanted to, they wanted to kill the light and the truth. Okay. Now we also know that they want to kill it within you, don't they? Because that's what, that's what Christ said. He said, oh, they prevented those from going within.
That's what they do. They prevent you from going within and understanding Christ within. So, um, so now, after the Passover, they wanted to kill Jesus with their witchcraft. And in being in Bethany, which I'm not going to get into here, we've talked about it enough. Bethany is the house, uh, house of bread, right? So when they're in the house of bread, in the house of Simon the leper, he sat at meat. To sat at meat just means they're eating. There came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. Okay, so first off, let's, uh, let's talk about who is Simon the leper. Simon the leper is a Pharisee, and you understand this by reading if you go into Luke. Simon was a Pharisee, mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, um, also, also in Mark, uh, as the host of a meal who invited Jesus to eat at his house, but failed to show him the usual marks of hospitality. Okay, so Jesus went to eat at Simon the leper's house, and Simon wasn't very kind to him, in other words. Simon is a Pharisee. This is why this is actually from Luke. So you have the exact same story that you have in Mark. Yeah, you scoot on over to Luke, and next thing you know, Simon the leper is specifically understood as Simon the Jew. Simon the Pharisee. Simon the, yeah. He's a leper. What is a leper? A leper, by the way, I just want to say this. Leper is the the mirror of repel, which is interesting. But beyond that, leper is a person suffering from leprosy. So in the literal story, he's like, oh, he's got leprosy. But what is the what is the actual meaning of this Simon the Pharisee, the leper guy? What what are we supposed to extract from this? Oh, that he's a person who is avoided or rejected by others for moral and social reasons. Because the truth and the light and the the life and the way and the light of all men comes to sit at his table and he treats him like shit. That's why he's he's a, a leper, because he's a person who's avoided or rejected because he has no morale, he has no morals. So that's Simon, and of course, once again, a, a member of the tribe. Okay. Simon uh, sat at me. There came a woman. So now there's a woman that comes, and this woman is about to anoint Christ. I mean, my Lord. Think about how, uh, like, you know, queenly this is or whatever. This, I mean, this is uh, what, a, what, a, what an honor, really, right? This woman's about to anoint Christ, and what does she bring? So there came a woman having, and this is where I have to uh, skirt over some of this, um, just because we've covered a lot of this before, but... Uh, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she break the box and poured it onto his head. What's happening right here? Obviously, in the story, we have this woman. She's got a box. She's got some ointment in there, and she break the box, and she poured it on, on Jesus' head. What's happening, though? Jesus is being anointed, which is what? What is the metaphysical nature of this? It's the process of enlightenment. You're watching it right in front of you. The oil, as we'll talk about in just a second, the oil, as we know, is the cerebral spinal fluid that goes down the Passover. It goes down the 33 bones of your spinal column. This is just how it works physically. Your brain is bathed in this stuff. It goes down the spinal column, which is where all of those chakras are, and goes back up. And this whole process, this physiological process, is related to a metaphysiological process. And that's the process of death and resurrection. That's the process of enlightenment. And we are watching Jesus as he's preparing for this whole thing right now. This woman comes with an, let's look at the symbolism here. You're not given much, but you're, it's, it's loaded, okay? What is, what is the spike nard? Of, oh, let's read this again just so you guys know. Sorry. Let me be Henry David Thoreau. Um, 
There came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. What is spikenard? Spikenard is, it's a costly perfume, oint, perfumed ointment, much valued in ancient times. It's an expensive ointment. Very, it's rich, if you will. Okay, there's the symbolism, a rich ointment. It's in an alabaster box. What's the color of alabaster? It's typically white, usually carved in a lot of like, you know, you'll see alabaster. I don't want to get into that, but you, you get it. What's white? What is the symbolism of white? Purity. Purity. That's what it is. The white light of, of right? I mean, we think about like a, a prism, right? You get the white singular light, what I like to call the celestial beam of faith, that white light that comes into the prism and then it it uh, you know disseminates out or divides out into the color spectrum, of course. But first you have that white light that's purity. So this woman is about to anoint Jesus, which is talking about the metaphysical process of the anointing of the self and the death and resurrection, the passing over. She's bringing an alabaster box. She's bringing a pure white box. That is a reference to Kabbalah. The box, the Kaaba, is being broken open. And now that box is being poured onto, onto the Aries, onto the lamb, onto the ram, and right down the Passover, the 33 bones of the spinal column, and right back up. So that's, it's, the reason it's a box is because it's a specific reference to Kabbalah. It's a white, pure box. Just like Christ, or just like God, is referenced in Revelation as a, um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a cube and it's got all these precious stones and everything like that. But ultimately, uh, all, all they see is white in, in, in Revelation. I'm, I'll go into that at some other point. But so this is what it is. It's a reference to Kabbalah. Inside this precious white box is a precious ointment. It's an oil. It's the chrism. That is your cerebral spinal fluid. This is, this is what we're all, this is the whole, <laughs> Paschal lamb, the ram, the lamb, right up there. That's what we're talking about up here. The whole process. That's what we're discussing. That's your cerebral spinal fluid that goes down the 33 bones of your Passover, your spinal column. As the colorless fluid goes around your brain and spinal cord, it cushions those organs, picks up needed supplies from your blood and gets rid of waste products from the brain cells. That's the physiological process of what's, you know, what's going on there. This oil this oil, by the way, we already covered oil comes from, when you look at the etymology specifically, when you look at olive oil, oil in general comes from the olive tree, comes from the from olives. So when you look at the etymology of oil, it, it is directly and specifically rated, related to olives. And we've, um, we've covered this before, um, I think two live streams ago. But this comes from God, Man, the Word Made Flesh. George Carey, fantastic book. This fluid, this oil that's happening in the Passover, she's got that alabaster box. She's got the kaba. She's got the pure white kaba. She's about to break that open, and the ointment, the oil is going to go down, flow over the Aries, the lamb, the ram, down the Passover. The fluid, oil or marrow, which flows down the spinal cord, comes from the upper brain, the creator, or the father, the most high, and is known in physiology as ovum, or the generative seed. It's the seed. The life essence which creates the human form of corruptible flesh. In the Greek from the New Testament, was translated, this marrow is called Christ, which is the Greek word for oil, chrysum. When this oil is refined, transmuted, lifted up, raised, it becomes so highly vitalized that it regenerates the body and overcomes the last enemy, death. And that's exactly what we're, what we're uh, looking at here. How can it be lifted up? By lifting up the Son of Man. 
the light within you, the seed, the word by the, the Savior. The oil, Christ, is the spinal cord, is the salt which is mentioned in the Bible, and the Savior is the seed. So that's exactly what's going on in this whole thing. It's highly symbolic. So she break the box. She's about to anoint Christ. Uh, Mark, oh, my Lord. We're on number four. Half hour in. We're on number four. And there was some that had indignation with themselves and said, why waste this? Uh, why, why was this waste of the ointment made? So here are these scribes and Pharisees are going around be like, why did you waste the ointment? It's so precious and rich. Ah, you know. Then they said, for it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against you. Oh, how dare you? We could have sold that and given it to the poor, those Jews say, because that's what they do, right? Of course. No. Um, and Jesus said to them, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Then he says this, For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. So what's Jesus saying here? He's like, you're bitching about this woman who just did the most honorable thing in the world and anointed Lord Jesus Christ, and they bitched about it. They're like, oh, you wasted that stuff. We could have thawed it and gave it to the poor. Jesus retorts as this. At any point, he says this, for ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. In other words, you always have the poor with you, and at any point, you could lift them out of their mud and muck and mire and their situation. You could handily help them out and be a helping hand at any single point. But instead, what do you do? You sink them into usury. At any point, you could have helped those people. But instead, now this one woman does the good deed of anointing Jesus Christ, and you bitch about it. At any point, you could lift all of those poor people out. You're rich. These are the Jews, remember, that were at the treasury that were shelling out in the treasury to, so that everybody could see, see, I'm the good boy. I'm the guy that actually cares about God. Look at how much money I'm giving. Jesus didn't give a shit. Jesus knows how much money they have. At any point, you could have saved that woman, but you didn't. Then when she does a good deed, you bitch about it. You, you admonish her. <clears throat> then he says this, she hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, then he says this, This also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. What? So this woman comes, anoints Jesus Christ, and then he says, Anytime the gospel shall be preached, it's going to be a memorial for this woman as well. We don't even know who this woman is. No idea. <laughs> no idea who the woman is. Patriot Astrologer, 99. Uh, I fire today. On fire today? I think. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. What is this? What's, of course, we know uh, anoint. Sorry. What is anoint? Anointing is the ritual act of pouring an aromatic oil over a person's head and entire body. We know that. We just covered that. What is happening here? I'm going to go over this really quick because we've covered it before. I'm, I'm already running late. But this is the alchemical marriage. Jesus Christ is die, is, is, is anointing. The, the, the oil is running through his body, over his head and through his body, right? Anytime that this happens, what you actually, and we've, like I said, we covered this before with the bridegroom and, and all of this other stuff. What actually happens is you're undergoing the alchemical marriage. You're uniting all opposites into one. This is why there's a woman here. You don't even know who this woman is. But he says specifically that anytime that, the, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached, anytime you preach this gospel throughout the entire world, also speak of a memorial to her. 
The greatest, the greatest thing that she could have done was, but you know, anoint Jesus. They're trashing it. Why is there a woman there? Why is there this woman? Because it's ultimately speaking about the marriage, the alchemical marriage, the merging of all opposites into one, and that's what Jesus is undergoing. Um, like I said, I, I have to be kind of quick with some of the stuff because we covered it. And Ju this is Mark fourteen ten, and Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve went unto the chief priest to, uh, to betray him. And we know the story of uh, uh, Judas Iscariot. Iscariot means, uh, comes from Kerioth, which is the name of two cities mentioned in the Hebrew Bible. The name means cities. So Judas Iscariot is basically Judas, you know, probably a native, hence his name Iscariot, is from the city Kerioth. Judas is from Kerioth. Judas Iscariot. Iscariot, that's what it means. But Judas, also we know, when we look at phonology here, right? Somebody had just mentioned here, I mean, this you can't possibly begin to understand the Bible until you start extracting some of this poetry out. Angels, they're angles. The angels of light are the angles of the numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's what the Christian angelic hierarchy. Good and evil is God and devil. It's a variation of those things. Son and the, the son of man, S-O-N and the S-U-N, those are connections, right? Okay, so you can't even make the necessary connections in the Bible without understanding those phonetic tricks, right? Um, so this is so when we look at Judas, this is this is exactly what happened to Jesus and the disciples. Judas, Judas. That's what he did. To the disciples in Christ, he Judas. And that's a common phrase, by the way. It's kind of fallen out of uh, favor lately, but uh, it's something that has been known for, you know, it's a common like idiom or phrase or whatever that people use all the time when they get screwed monetarily. Ah, he iscariated us. <laughs> so, and Judas is kind of like Cypher in the Matrix. Remember Cypher in the Matrix? He's like, ah, I know this steak is fake, but I'm still going to eat it anyway. Judas like pretty much knew, he's like, oh, we knew that this guy was the, you know, <laughs> the son of God and the light of all men and nothing like that. But, uh, yeah, screw it. We'll just go back to, you know, chomping on the laws of the tribe. <clears throat> so, um, and then when they heard, the, the scribes and Pharisees, when they heard that Judas was going to sell him out, betray him, um, and promised to give him money, and he sought how he might con conveniently betray him. And the first day of the unleavened bread, once again, this is not the bread that's rising. These people aren't rising. When they killed the Passover, they killed that lamb, his disciples said unto him, uh, Wherewith thou that we go and prepare that thou may eat the Passover? So the disciples, so after the Passover, they killed it, and they're like, oh, where are we going to eat this lamb? Where are we going to nourish on the, this? The disciples want to nourish on the lamb. Where are they going to go to do this? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith, saith to them. This is a very famous phrase in the Bible that clearly shows that this is astro, astrological. And so he's sending two for, he's, uh, forth two disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. And wheresoever he shall go in, comma, say ye to the good man of the house, it's a good man, the master saith, Where's the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. Okay. 
Now, a lot of people know that Aquarius is the, the man bearing the pitcher of water. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, what, by the way, if you're a literalist or, you know, one of these online Christians that are whatever, like what in the world does that mean? How in the, I mean, how can you possibly not relate that to astrology? <laughs> it's like so blatant in your face. So here's, here's what's going on here. Okay. Um, so, you know, he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, go in, go ye into the city and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. There's Aquarius. There's the man who's the water bearer, of course. Now, a lot of people don't know that the water Aquarius also has the asterism, the star asterism of the water jar. So this man of water is literally, you know, not literally, but, you know, of course, figuratively in the star studies, carrying a pitcher of water, a water jar. Okay, so there's the Aquarius. But it, it says where, and then it says this, and wheresoever he shall go in. Where is he going in? We know where we are. We know where we are, guys. Right? Aquarius. It's got a water jar. You know, that sort of thing. Then it says, where is he going in? Look where Aquarius is. Aquarius is right. So there you can see the uh, ecliptic right there. It's the dotted line right there. And then you have the equator. So the equator is basically the you know, these imaginary lines or whatever that you bring out from the equator of the earth and the ecliptic is the path of the sun, moon, and stars, of course. Well, there's a place where these meet. And where where do they, it's the zero hour, right? In your sidereal astrology, where do they meet? Right by Aquarius. Literally right by Aquarius. So where is he going in? He's going into the, in, in other words, the zero hour. The place where the ecliptic and the equator meet. Go into the good man in the house. Then to say, where is the guest chamber? Where are we all going to eat? Now, why? Number, let me stop here a second. Why else is this area so important? Besides the fact that it's the meeting of the, the ecliptic and the equator. What is right by that area? That zero point. This is something we covered, I think, two live streams, three live streams ago. You have the great Pegasus, the winged winged uh, uh, horse that flies in the heavens that no man has sat upon other than Christ. There's the Pegasus right there. And what's right above the Pegasus? The circlet of stars. It's seven stars. It's known as the crown or the circlet. You have right below the circlet, the great square of Pegasus. And right above the great square of Pegasus, you have the circlet, the crown, the circlet. So right below, you have the great square and above you have the circle. In other words, right by the zero hour of the ecliptic and the equator meeting, where the Aquarius, where the man is pouring literally a jar of water, figuratively, you have what happening? Squaring the circle. Right there. Squir circle, square, circlet, the crown of seven, seven, uh, seven stars. <clears throat> this is why they're mentioning all of this. They're trying to get you to understand all of these archetypes that are right above your head in the sky. So where is the guest chamber? So they say, well, where where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples. Where do you think he's eating? The, where do you think he's eating the lamb? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. Go ye into the city. City means polis, by the way. Polis is like pole, pole star, that kind of thing. And there. He's in the center of the entire thing. 
there's a he's going to show you a large upper room it's furnished and prepared it's where you're going to go set the table for the lord okay let's go on and it, does everybody get that And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them. And there they made ready for the Passover. Once again, they're eating the, the, the Paschal, you know, this idea of the Paschal lamb is, is the, you know, this notion that like nourishment of the, what's on high. You know, just like we talk about in the, the bread of life. What are you nourishing? You're, you're feeding your spirit, spiritual body with spiritual nourishment, not dead matter anymore. Okay. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve, Mark uh, 14, 17. And as he sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. He knows. He's, he, already, he already knows. One of you are going to be, he knows the script. He knows the story. The Son of Man must be put into the hands, you know, the Son of Man must be put in the hands of man, must die. It's the, it's the story of death and resurrection. It's what we covered last time in the Wheel of Time. There's only one script. There's only one story. It's that man must die and be reborn. Christ obviously has to fulfill that story because this is what the whole thing is about, right? So, so he knows what's up. And, he began to, and they began to be sorrowful and say unto him one by one, is it I? They started second-guessing themselves. And another said, is it I? They started second-guessing themselves. Think about this. And he answered and said unto them, it is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. This basically is just a reference. Dippeth with me in the dish is just a reference to the Jews. They have this thing called, it's a sauce, a sauce called sheroseth. And it refers to the dipping of the unleavened bread. And so that's just, you know, he's basically saying, hey, while we were dipping in the bread, it, it was one of you guys. <clears throat> the son of man, and then he says this, the son of man indeed goeth as it is written of him. We know that the script ultimately is that the Son of Man must die and be reborn. That has to happen. So he knows the script. And he says it. The Son of Man indeed goeth. He's going to die. I, in other words, Jesus says, I am going to die. But woe to man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. What's being said here? What is the Son of Man? Now, it's one thing, it's, we obviously understand the correlations like, oh, we're talking about Jesus Christ. Do not betray God. Okay, cool. What have we learned, though? Where is that light? Where is that Son of Man? It's in here. It's right in here. That's what you're supposed to raise up through your temple, die, pass the heart, let all that die, and be reborn. That is the Passover. That's, ex that's the whole thing of what we're talking about right now. So, if you were to betray the Son of Man, what would you be doing? Yeah, okay, I get it. Betraying God, betraying Christ, yes. But ultimately, if that Son of Man exists within you, what are you doing? You're betraying yourself. You are not being, you know, genuine with yourself. You're not harnessing that light within yourself. God gave you that, and you're, you know, pissing it away, in other words. Um, let's go. Mark 14, 22. And as they did eat, this is where the Eucharist comes in. Yet another thing that I just, it's, it's unbelievable to not recognize the, the rich symbolism, the highly uh, erudite symbolism behind the Eucharist. You know, people go to the church every single Sunday and, or, you know, they, and they do this ritual and it's like they don't understand the real symbolic potency that's happening with the Eucharist. 
Mark 14, 22 says this, And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and, and break it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And then he says, And he said unto them, This is my body of the New Testament, which is shed for many. What, what is this? Think about what he's saying. So he took the cup and he's, he's saying, eat this. This is my body. This is cannibalism now. Spiritual cannibalism, right? Whatever. No. What's the symbolism here? What is the ultimate symbolism behind the Eucharist? What is in me is in you now. That's what the symbolism of the Eucharist is. When you take in the body and the blood of Christ, it's basically, it's, you know, this is hearty, heady symbolism to basically say that that power of the Almighty is within you. This is actually the New Testament, as he goes on to say. The entire thing of the Eucharist is saying, my power, the, 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 me, the, the, whole, the whole kit and caboodle, which is Christ, the entirety of the whole thing is now in you. And this symbolic ritual of doing this is to remind person of the power of Christ that's within. Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Now, why is this so important? Because it recognizes that every single human being, right, that, rec that recognizes it, of course. There's, there's people that ignore it, like he's saying, the Son of Man, you betrayed it, ignored it. But every single human being has that spark within them. This is what he says. He goes on to say, Verily I say, uh, I'm sorry, Mark 14, 24, then he, he says this, And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament. This is the New Testament. Not the Old Testament. What did the Old Testament say? <clears throat> well, you don't have Christ within you. You don't have God within you. You are a Gentile. You're a goy. You don't have the Lord God within you. You are just a cattle. You're just, you know, you're, um, you're like second rate kind of thing. And that's the Old Testament. And Christ came along and said, nope, there's a New Testament. And here's my blood. And here is my body. And now it's going into you. This is the meaning of the Eucharist. The Eucharist is, cl is clearly elevated symbolism in that the body and blood of Jesus given during the sacred ritual of Holy Communion, represented usually by a wafer, a piece of bread, and a chalice of wine, is not seriously intended to be the actual body and blood of the living man alleged to have walked the earth two grand ago. The phonology of the word Eucharist unveils its mystical and anagogical meaning. You, Christ. You, Christ. The Eucharist. Eucharist is a deeply rooted spiritual message reminding the follower of the Lamb, cemented in weekly sacred ritual, that you are Christ. The light of God is within you. It is the gift of the Gentiles and the hope of glory. The sustenance of your spiritual life must feed on this eternal source, the living word, the spirit that is present and lives within everything. This is what the bread signifies as man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The wafer piece of bread transcends the mere symbolic meaning when we establish the fact that the word Christ resides in all things. That's what it's there to remind you. Take it in. You drink. Oh, that's right. His body, his blood is within me. I'm of the same. I'm cut from the same cloth. The wafer literally becomes the body, the wine, the blood of Christ, the eternal sustenance which enlivens us. 
The Eucharist is a ritualistic reminder that every day we must sustain, ourse sustain ourselves with the eternal love of Christ. <clears throat> so after he, you know, after he cemented the New Testament, he's like, everybody's got Christ in you now, right? Which is shed for many. It's not shed for all, because why? He, well, he's not shedding it for <laughs> the people of the Old Testament, is he? Nope. It's not for them. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day I drink it in the new kingdom of God. This is the same thing we said about when he said, you know, it was chat, last chapter, two chapters ago, when he's like, oh, we're up in the house. You're not going to go back into the house. You're not going to need to go back in the house. Why? Because that's the material world. Now you're seeking the new kingdom. You're seeking the kingdom of heaven, which is the spiritual world above. You're not going back into the field to put your garment or your clothes on because you're done with the outer garment, the outer clothing of the material body. Now you're lifting yourself up and raising yourself to the spiritual heights. Not drinking no more of the fruit of the vine. When I drink from now on, it'll be upstairs, the new kingdom of God. Where is that upstairs? It's in the Mount of Olives. We talked about this. So this is the next line. Uh, Mark 14, 24, or Mark, uh, excuse me, Mark 14, 26. And when they had sung in him, so then they sang after this whole thing, they ate the body and blood of Christ, and they're like, oh, New Testament, yes, it's here. And then they sang a hymn, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. So uh, let me stop a second. What is the what is the Eucharist? Like when you go to eat the wafer at a, a church, what is it? It's usually round, is it not? It's more often round, and then it has a, a cross in there. Sometimes they break in two. Sometimes they break it in four. Um, what's the symbolism of the circle? It's Christ. It's Christ. Not only is Jesus Christ the Son of God, the sun that rises every single day, and what is that sun? It's always a circle. It's not like the moon, where the moon is sometimes half and, you know, Waxing, waning, gibbous, crescent. Well, what's the moon doing? We don't have a freaking clue. The sun is always a circle. What is Jesus? He's the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. <clears throat> He's the beginning and the end. It's a circle. He's the alpha and the omega. The same thing. It's a circle. He's the beginning and the end. He's a circle. What's the wafer? It's a circle. Putting that right in your mouth, saying, hey, so then after all of this, they went to the, they, you know, he uh, basically canonized, if you will, the New Testament, like con con uh, consecrated it, I guess would be the word. And then they, they sung a tune and then they went out into the Mount of Olives. Okay, well, what is the Mount of Olives? As we know, we've covered this many times, the Mount of Olives is the place in which Jesus, the Messiah, ascended into heaven and it separates the most holy place, the Temple Mount, from the Judean desert to the east. Once again, we just talked about the fact that it's like, hey, they went to the, they went to Aquarius and had the water pitcher, and then you know it was like that's where they squared the circle, and then they went in, and then they went to the upper room, and they were talking about what, the upper room of the house, the pole star. Then we go to the Mount of Olives, and we can see that there's absolute, you know, uh, we can see the the astrological, the astrology, the star study that's happening here. We'll cover this again real quick. The Judean desert to the east. There's the pole star right in the center. Look to the east. Look to the east of the pole star. You have a camel lepardalis, which is a camel, a leopard, and together it forms a giraffe. It's a lynx, a, two lions, a beehive. You got camels, you got leopards, you got a giraffe, you got a lynx, you got Leo, you got two lions, and you got bees. What? Where do all those things exist? Deserts. So here we have the Judean desert to the east, 
And so they're saying when they went out, they were like, hey, we went to the Mount of Olives. That's a specific place in the heavens above, right in the center of the whole thing. The Mount of Olive. Oh, live for eternal life. The Mount of Olive. Olive. The olive is technically a droop, a fruit with a single large stone inside. Once again, a reference to the stone, the Kaaba. But the word olive derives from Latin oliva. It's uh, the olive tree. The word oil originally meant olive oil. So they went up to the high room, the high ram. Ooh, the high ram abif. All you masons out there, they went to the high ram. They went to the high room where they ate the paschal lamb. And it, where they went up was a place called the Mount of Olives. And what is that? Oil. Okay. So let's continue on. Oh, I want to make sure I didn't miss anything. Oh, I did. Sorry. I'm sorry. They went to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus says this. When I go up, all you guys are going to scatter. Everybody, when I go to my death, everybody's going to flee. There won't be anybody there except me. It's essentially what he's saying. And he's going to lay this prophecy out and... Um, uh, it's going to come true, of course. Uh, so Jesus saith unto him, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. You're all going to be offended when I say this. For it is written, the script is written. I'm going to have to do it alone. The script is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The, the script is written that, hey, the, the, the shepherd being Christ will be smited and the sheep that his followers will scatter. That's what he's saying there. Okay. <clears throat> but after that, I am risen. Look at that language. Look at that language right there. But after that, I am risen. What's risen? It's rise. Aries, arise, arose. That sort of thing. Then right before that is what? The great I am. He says it again in this too. Uh, just so you know. So when we're talking about, here's our story. Written out nice and, you know, all like he's, oh, and he, he drank some wine and then gave some bread. And then these Pharisees came along and he sat at me and all this other stuff. What's the metaphysical process that's happening within? Death and resurrection. But after that, I am risen. I will go before you. I will go before you. Think about what he's saying there. Okay. Um, this is where he gives the prophecy. Uh, but Peter said unto him, so Peter's like, no, no, uh, you know, although all shall be offended, yet will, I, will not I, not me. I'll be there with you, Christ. I'll be there till the very end. And Jesus is like, no, you won't. No, you won't. You'll, you'll all scatter. And we'll see why in just a second. And Jesus saith unto him, verily I say unto thee, this is uh, super like awesome poetry, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. That's very, that's a, that's a very riddle. It's a, it's a phrase that's just, uh, it's just reeking with like riddle and rhyme and poetry and that sort of stuff. Um, and you'll see this just a second, but he spake the more vehemently Peter did. If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. I'm not going to deny you Christ. No, I will be there with you. Likewise also said they all. All the disciples said, no, Christ, no, when you go up there and they're, they're going to sacrifice you, we'll, we'll be there. We'll be there with you. And Jesus is like, no, you're all going to scatter. And, they and you'll see why. And they came to a place which was called, which was named 
Gethsemane. I think that's how you say that. Gethsemane. 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 Whatever. And he said unto the disciples, sit ye here while I pray. What does Gethsemane I think is how you say that. What is what is Gethsemane mean? Are you guys ready for this? What is So once again, we're given the story. All of a sudden, there's this weird term in here. We don't know what it means. Like, what does that mean? Gethsemane. What does it mean? Well, it means oil press. <laughs> He's oil press. What was this whole thing about? The Passover. Going from lower to higher. The anointing. The alabaster, the pure white kaba that's broken open, that has the precious ointment inside, the rich fluid that goes, bathes the Aries, goes right down, right back up. The whole process is about death and resurrection. The script has been written. The process of enlightenment is crafted within in, is in crafted inherently within nature, in other words. They go to this place and it's the oil press. Sit, sit here. Sit in this oil press while I pray. Okay. Gethsemane. Gethsemane? Is that how you say that? Gethsemane. Gethsemane? Thank you. Thank you very much. And he take oh so now he's now he's gonna once again all this whole thing is talking about that Passover going from lower to higher going from the the atavistic animalistic state to the higher state from the material to the spiritual kind of thing right terrestrial into the celestial if you want lots of terms you could throw at this and this is who he takes up to do this watch this so we're at the oil press <laughs> and he taketh with him Peter and James and John. And began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. They start to they start to get sad. Is basically what happens. You have all the disciples around, and there's their hero, there's their savior, there's the guy that they've been following. And then he's just let him know, he's like, "Hey, I'm about to die. I'm I'm passing over." And they're all like, "Yet, oh my God, they're they're sad. Just like if you went into war and all of a sudden your general died, be like, oh, what are we gonna do now? Now we have to, you know, we have to get somebody else to lead us, kind of thing." And who does he take up to this oil press? He takes up Peter, James, and John. And we've already covered this before. Why is he taking them up? Because that's exactly what he's doing. He's going, he's undergoing the Passover. He's going from the lower to the higher. He's taking John and James, who's Sagittarius and Scorpio, which is your lower state, and he's going straight up to the Passover, to the Paschal Lamb, the Aries, the Ram, and he's going to Simon Peter. That's who he's taking with him. Then he says all this, and he says, uh, And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. Even Jesus at the, is at this point where he's like, God, I just, I, you know, it's like it was like I want the pain and suffering to be over. I, you know, just I want this to be over kind of thing. And he even, prays to, he even prays to God. He said, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. The cup is the physical vessel. That's what the cup is. You know, that's that's the the cup is what put you put the spiritual being into the cup, if you will, the vessel, the the vehicle. Okay, take this away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but th what that will. What you know, please end my life is what he's praying for. So now, while he's out, and he and it's, it even says here, and he went forward a little. So he left the disciples. He let, he, Peter, James, and John are just sitting there. And he left the disciples and he went forward a little bit. <clears throat> and it's all right. 
And um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. No, it's okay. Went forward a little bit and by himself a little bit, right? And he's basically, then he's like praying for his own death. Take this cup away from me. And then he comes back and he finds them sleeping. Remember what we talked about last live stream? Watch. Take heed. Watch. For the time, you never know when the time is. You don't want that. You don't want the porter come. As we said, you don't want the porter coming from the from the house and find you sleeping because he wants you to be awake. So here Christ almost, I mean, could have anyway, actually passed over to the other side. And what happens? Well, because they were all tired and stuff like that, they were sleeping. They weren't awake. In other words, you have to be awake because you never know when the hour is going to come. You never know when Christ is going to show up. You never know when that death and resurrection is actually going to be there. Pay attention. Take heed. And he cometh and find them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, your brain, Peter, Simon, your brain, you're sleeping, sleeping on the job. You couldn't watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Always be paying attention. Have that state of awareness. Watch. Watch, he says. Take heed. Because if you're not paying attention to the Christ, if you, in other words, if you don't keep your eyes on Christ all the time, then you can slip into temptation. You're going to slip over here. He's like, st don't, don't be asleep. Awake. Pay attention to me. Keep your eyes on the light. And then he says this, the spirit truly is ready. The Christ inside is ready. The flesh is weak. That flesh is weakening. It's about to, he's about to pass over. He's about to say, this material body, I'll be done with it. Don't need it anymore. That's Peter, James, and James, John, and Simon Peter, of course. <clears throat> okay. And again, he went away and prayed and spake the same words, said it again. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. So then he's like, you know, they knew that they were guilty. It was like, no, we were not keeping our eye on Christ the entire time. And they didn't even know what to say. They didn't have an excuse. And he come the third time and saith unto them, always three. Notice that? The cock crow thrice. And then he comes a third time and saith unto them, sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. The time is now. Rise up. Take your rest, sleep. In other words, in this sense, sleep, you're going to be awake. And you could say this, right now, um, lay down and be sick, for soon you will be healed. That's okay, go ahead and die, you'll be reborn, kind of thing. Rise up, arise, Aries, rise. Let us go, lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. He, once again, the, he, why does Christ know the story? Why does Christ know the story that he's like, oh, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die and then I'll be reborn. Why does he know the story? Because what is being referenced here is the exact same thing we talked about in the Wheel of Time. We know that the sun in the winter is going to go far, far down on that horizon and it's not going to have long days. And we know that part of the cycle, part of the process down here of death and rebirth, which is encoded in the sun, means that the winter must come. It has to. It's part of the deal. There's no like, oh, this year we're going to skip winter. No. That's part of the cycle. That's part of the death and rebirth. That's what happens down here. That's what you need to undergo in your spiritual pursuit. That's what he's saying. I know the script. I am going to die. I'm going to pass over. I'm going to be put on that cross. 
The disciples didn't want to hear it. They're like, no, 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 no. No, it can't be. But he's trying to say, no, this has to be so it can be for you. Immediately, while he yet spake, cometh Judas, Judas again, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. They brought an army. These chiefs, an army for a dude. Think about this. They brought swords and staves, and they brought the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. They brought the whole kit and caboodle. They brought the whole tribe down. And he that betrayed him had given him a token, saying, Whom, Whomever I shall kiss, that, uh, that same as he, take him and lead him away safely. Basically, in other words, it's the, it's the Judas kiss. The Judas kiss! So it's the Judas kiss. So, <laughs> whom I whomsoever I shall kiss. Why is the kiss? Think about this. Um, you guys know Metallica, Death Magnetic, great record. Little overproduced, too much compression. But anyway, um, why is the kiss so important? Why is it a kiss? What is the sign of it? What is the symbol of a kiss? To touch the to touch the lips as a sign of love. It's sexual sexual desire, reverence, or a greeting. It's basically showing respect, right? It's basically, it's like a kiss in one sense is like the most, is one of the most like intimate things that you could do with another human being. Like it's the word, it's the, the, the mouth touching another mouth, that sort of thing. And so here's this symbol of like love and appreciation and affection and intimacy and things like that. And he used, and this kiss signified to go to arrest him. So a lot of symbolism there with the, 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 the Okay, <laughs> what other freaking churches do you know play Metallica? Huh, Metallica? Okay, where are we? Take him away, lead him, uh, okay. So, and as soon as he was come, he goeth straight away to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. So the most, you know, it's like, oh, look at you. So, oh, I love you so much. Ah, we gotcha, right? And one of them, the Judas. And one of them that stood by drew a sword. Now think, look at this, look at this. This is, this is, I mean, just once again, just potent, potent symbolism that's thrown smack dab in the middle of this. And it's one line and then it's off. Okay, let's just stop and let's really analyze this. Mark 14, 47. And one of them that stood by, so this is, Judas just kissed him. The people came, they grabbed him. And then one of them stood by, drew a sword, and smote a servant of the high priest and cut his ear off. Marty, the best church I've ever been to. Thanks for being hilarious along the way. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> I was playing that before, and Jennifer's like, what is that crap? That's That sounds terrible. <laughs> it should have been Lars. You guys ever seen that T-shirt where it's like, you know, the, the... Oh, never mind. Oh, my Lord. Okay, let's keep going. Sorry. Um... <laughs> so, uh, where am I? Where am I? Oh, yeah. So, this guy, Mark 14, 47. And one of them that stood by, as Jesus is getting arrested, he drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut his ear off. Crazy rich symbolism here. One line, 
doesn't really apropos of nothing. Really doesn't have anything to do with the 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 story at all. We don't know who who was the servant, who was the person that got the ear cut off, why did he cut off his ear, what happened to this? Nothing. We don't know anything. That's it. One line. Now, the only way that you can absolutely de you know decipher this at all is to look at the symbolism. What is the sword? Well, the sword is the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. So here, this so they went to arrest Jesus, and this one guy's like, no, you cannot be. And he takes his sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and he goes, cuts off the ear of one of the guys. Why? Because while they're arresting Jesus, what is the symbolism? Oh, you can't hear the word. You can't hear the sword of you can't hear the word of God. One line. And the, the unbelievable, unbelievably rich symbolism. These people, they were arresting Christ. They were trying to snuff out the word, the light. So this guy's like, I'm going to take the word, word of God, the sword of the spirit. And I'm going to, you can't hear it. We know all about you. <clears throat> um, and Jesus answered and said unto them, uh, Mark 14, 48, are ye come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? You, you guys are like attacking me as if I'm some thief, like I'm a criminal. Then he says this, I was daily with you in the temple teaching, comma. Powerful, unbelievably powerful. What is Jesus saying here? I was daily with you. I was in here. I was in here daily trying to teach you about the way, the truth, and the life. Trying to teach you about God Almighty. Trying to teach you about the divine spark. Trying to teach you about the path of salvation. Trying to teach you about how that, that my body, my blood, with you know the the New Testament, trying to teach you that you know the recognition that God is within every man. You 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 all ignored it. I was daily with you in the temple teaching, comma, and ye took me not. Colon, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. The scripture must be fulfilled, just as the son dies and be is reborn in the winter. So, so does Christ. He has to go to the cross. He knows. He has to go to the cross. He knows. Okay? Then it says, then it ends, uh, it doesn't end here. It says, Mark uh, 14, 50, it says, and they all forsook him, which basically means abandoned, forsook, forsake, forsook, and fled. So here, <laughs> um, they, they abandon him. Why? Jesus had no help at the cross from his followers. When he's being arrested, they had, he had no help. All of his followers took off. What's, and there's, once again, rich symbolism here. There's a meaning behind this, a deep meaning behind this. Does that mean that all of his followers are wusses, right? It's like, no, 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 that's not what this is. That's not what this is about at all. This is about recognizing Christ is all one, all right? When we say he had to go it alone, alone, right? Alone is a variation. This is wordplay once again. It's all one. This is exactly what Christ is, right? So this story of Christ doing this alone is recognizing that in your spiritual pursuit, when you take up your cross and follow him, right? Are you going to have like a, a group of people around, like 12 dudes around you being like, yeah, go, man, and then like help you lifting up the mountain? No, you 
will go alone on your spiritual quest. When you go to Passover and pass over the, the heart and from the lower to the higher, right? God is going to be judging you and you alone and what you did down here and your actions down here. Christ, in this whole story, he's setting that, he's setting that framework for it. He's got to go it alone, though. Why? Because his story is your story. You are going to have to do it alone, by yourself. And God Almighty, with his graces... We are all one with Christ. This is the New Testament. This is why he's saying, now you have my body. You have my blood. For as the, what is this, Luke something? I don't know. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. <laughs> so also is Christ. Let's read that one again. For as the body is one and hath Many members. What? All the divisions come back to oneness. And all the members of that, all those individual members, one body, being many, are one body. So Christ is doing that alone. But who is he doing it for? Well, we know all of humanity. He sacrificed, you know, right, the sacrifice for our sins. So that we would have the template, we would have the path, we would have that formula, if you will, for us to undergo our own Passover. This is the New Testament. It is Paul that's saying this. But For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles. Whether we be bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. All of us together, it's unity. It's basically what it's talking about. And there's, I read this before. I want to read it again. It's from Joseph Campbell. And it's this recognition that when you undergo your spiritual quest, when you undergo your path of going from the lower to the higher, death and rebirth, right? Raising from the lower, arising in Aries up through this thing, up through those 33, if you will. You're not going to do it alone because those Savior, the Savior, by the way, and um, thank you, nine, perspective 96, Here's to climbing the 33 rings of the ladder and conquering the 96, the left-right paradigm and duality of the mind. Thank you, Marty and Jen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> Christ is already gone. He's already, he's already made the path. He already went through this whole thing. He was already, you know, right? He was already persecuted and thrown on the cross and people were slapping him and blah, 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 blah. We know the pain and suffering that Christ went through. And he went through that, right? <laughs> so he's already gone through it. It's already, it's already happened. The pathway has already been set. So you will, when you go on your path, you're never going to have to do it alone. Because you'll be with, one with Christ when you go. You'll be all one. Joseph Campbell says, We have not even to risk the adventure alone, for the heroes of all time have gone before us. That's what Christ is doing right here. The labyrinth is thoroughly known. We know the path. There's, we know the script. We know exactly what we're here to do. It's thoroughly known. Die. Be reborn. We've only to follow the thread of the hero's path. Where we had thought to find abomination, we shall find a god. And where we had thought to slay another, we shall slay ourselves. Where we had thought to travel outward, we shall come to the center of our own existence. And where we had thought to be alone, 
we shall be with all the world. All the saints have come before you, have been on this path, means that when you walk the path, you won't be walking alone. You'll be walking with the king. <clears throat> Remember, you're going to be persecuted when you seek truth. And if the world hates you, John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. It's like, oh, look, all the world hates me. I'm just a cast down, stuff like that. Don't worry. Somebody had already been down that path. His name is Christ. Everyone hated him too. Guess what happened? He won. He won. Uh, and they all fled, right? They all fled. Once again, he knows the script. Jesus knows the script. It's some, a script is something written, a written document. It's the sacred writings of the Bible, the books of the Old and New Testament. When you're given a script, it's like, oh, I know what, I know what I'm supposed to say. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know the beginning and I know the end. Oh, I just got to follow the script. What's the script down here? Death and rebirth. It's the entire process of Christianity, to be a reborn Christian. And they're following. Oh, here's another one. Okay, here's another one that I, when I when I looked this up, um, the, you know, I looked at a, a bunch of like you know these biblical scholars that are trying to make sense of this, and it's it's no one can make sense of this as far as I can tell. We're gonna make sense of it today, though. There's two lines smack dab in the middle of Mark. Jesus is being arrested. All the disciples fled right now. That's what's happening. Jesus is being arrested. The disciples are fleeing. They're all freaking getting out of here. And what happens? Mark uh, fourteen fifty one. And there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body and the young men laid hold on him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. I'm going to say, I'm going to say this again. And there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body and the young men laid hold on him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And that's it. That's the that's the story. Now, by the way, when I went to go look this up online, I was like, uh, I was like, oh, I wonder what this means. And so I started looking up, young naked boy, and I was like, ooh, I better I better add some search terms to that, huh? Mark fourteen. So anyway, um, next thing you know, I'm gonna have the fucking pardon my language, CIA coming at my house and stuff. Anyway, um, so here we have a naked boy. <laughs> um, so here we have. Jesus being arrested, the disciples are fleeing. The disciples fled. Everybody fled. It's Jesus alone. What happens? This young boy comes up, <clears throat> certain young man, and he's got, this is all we know about it. He's young. He's a young man, and he was a follower of Christ, and he had a linen cloth cast, think about the word cast, about his naked body. Well, of course, everybody that has clothes on is naked. So what would what would be the importance of saying that he's naked here? There's symbolism here. Then it says it again. And he left the linen cloth. So they grabbed a hold of him. They ripped his clothes off. And he fled from them naked. So once again, I looked this up. And I no one has a clue what this means. No, literally no one. I couldn't find anything that made any sense of this that actually, you know, Gave meaning to it. So let's let's talk about this. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body, and the young men laid a hold on him, and left the linen cloth. What is the what is the linen cloth? It's the same thing that we talked about. It's the same thing that's happening with Jesus. Ah, the you know, the flesh is or the, the, the flesh is getting weak, I think is what it says, but the spirit is ready. 
you're not going to want to go into the house when you're on the housetop. You're not going to need to go back into the house because you're done with the material body. Now you're going upstairs. You're in the field. You're not going to have to go back to the garment and cloth and put that clothing on because you're done with that shit. You're the spiritual, enlightened human being, and now you're ascending. You're leaving the material world behind, the material body. This is exactly what's happening here. They followed him. This is a follower of Christ. After everybody abandoned him, this guy had so much fortitude, so much. He was like, I love Christ so much. When he's being arrested, I'm going to run up to him. This is what one of the, the definitions of young is. Young is having the qualities popularly, popularly associated with young people, such as enthusiasm and optimism. So he was enthusiastically like, I'm a follower of Christ. No, 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 no. And he ran up. This is all metaphysical. And then, and he had the linen. Now, linen is, by the way, when you look at weaving, okay, um, crocheting or weaving or even like braiding hair and stuff like that, what is, the, what is the ultimate thing that you do in that process? How do you do this? What is the symbolism behind it? You're taking a left and you're taking a right and you're weaving it together. You're taking opposites and you're forming a pattern, a, 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 a web, if you will, okay? And that's exactly what goes on down here on Earth. On Earth, we're surrounded by the opposites, yin and yang, positive and negative, up, down, left, right, forward, reverse, man, woman, black, white, hot, cold. It's those two, uh, unity of opposites, it's what it's called, and they're merged together as one, okay? So the symbolism of weaving is the idea that, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of like gods in like the Cherokee. I think they have a, a spider that weaves together the material world. And I think in Egypt, it's Nephthys, I think is what. It's the goddess of weaving and she weaves together the material world, that sort of thing. So the material world is recognized as the clothing that you put on. Think about it. You're, um, when you're born naked. You're born naked into this world. And then as a, as a symbol, what do you do? You put on clothing. What is the what is the symbolism of that clothing? That's the material, material world, the material body that you're putting on. So this young boy who's full of enthusiasm and he's you know he's optimism and he's a follower of Christ. When everybody else abandoned him, he was so dedicated to Christ he ran up. You know, almost like once again, just like the one. What was the other story? Is like the woman ran through and just wanted to touch the hem of his garment. She was so dedicated. This young boy runs up follower of Christ loves him so much knowing the knowing the 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 trouble that he could be in still did it was that dedicated and then they took off his material body and he fled from them what naked where do we see the first instance of somebody being naked in the Holy Bible? How do we know that this is the actual, this is the meaning of this? Well, because all we have to go is back to Genesis. And it says when, when, the, when Adam and Eve were in that primordial state, right? Before, it even says they weren't ashamed yet. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Why? Because they were spiritual beings. They hadn't put on the fleshly material body yet. So two lines within this that really is, uh, you know, I mean, highly cryptic, you know, very, very symbolic. But what, what else does this mean? All of a sudden, this boy just shows up out of nowhere for what? <clears throat> that boy was a follower of Christ and he left behind his material body because now he is a spiritual being.
Mark 14, 53, And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. Jesus is standing alone in front of, as far as we can tell, I don't know, dozens, hundreds, thousands of people, I don't know, I don't know how many, that hate his guts. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. So Peter, as they're dragging him along, Peter, the mind, he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. They followed him along. It's like, oh, I'm still following Jesus. By the way, this is, uh, Peter is the lamb, the ram. So in other words, the ram and the lamb is still following the shepherd. Went to the high priest and the Sabbath servants and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. So they're, there, so they're like, all right, who here has uh, proved and, and has uh, uh, evidence and is a witness that Jesus Christ is guilty? And nobody speaks up. Nobody. Because they all know. They all know the truth. Uh, actually, he's not guilty. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. So then the people that did speak up, they're like, oh, you guys don't agree. It was Professor Plum with the candlestick in the library. No, it was Colonel Mustard in the den. No, right? No, nobody could get their story straight because they were a bunch of liars. And there arose certain and bear false witness against him saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this. So once again, he's alive. Bear false. And once, once one of the things you're not supposed to do, bear false witness against your neighbor. So that's exactly what they're doing. Bear, bearing false witness against Christ Almighty. We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands. Within three days, I will build another made without hands. What What's that right there? Well, that's actually what's true. You know, you're going to destroy the temple, the lower body. And you're within the three days, just like Jesus was in the tomb three days and then rose again, I will build another maid without hands. Who's making that temple? God Almighty, because God dwells in a temple not made by the hands of man. And the only temple not made by the hands of man are the ones on the side of your forehead. But neither so did their witnesses agree together. Once again, they couldn't get all their story straight. No, he's guilty. It was totally, it was, yeah. It, he, you know, they were all lying, right? <clears throat> And the high priest stood up in the midst of uh, midst and asked Jesus, saying, um, "Sorry." Uh, and he stood. Uh, and the high priest stood up in the midst of and asked Jesus, saying, "Answerest thou nothing?" He doesn't say anything. Says nothing. All these chiefs, priests, all the scribes, and all the elders—they all come up and be like, "Answer for us." Then he asks everybody, he's like, ah, we're going to try to find this guy guilty and nobody, nobody can get their story straight. And Jesus knows the whole charade. He knows this is all theater. He also knows the script. He already knows what's going to happen. So what does he say? Not, it says jack all, says nothing to them. Once again, why? Because they don't deserve any answer. He didn't do anything wrong. But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Are you Christ? Trying to identify, basically identify him, just like, please do. Uh, license and registration, please. <laughs> and Jesus, and, and then Jesus says this. And Jesus said, comma, I am, colon. It's the first thing he says. The, 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 the truth beyond all truths. Who are you? What are you? The only thing that you can possibly say about yourself that is actually true is I am. The great I am is the divine spark that's within you. That's that son of man that's within you. It's the eternal spark. It goes right back to God. And Jesus is basically saying, that's what I am. 
That's, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Coming in the clouds of heaven, by the way, is a, is a, is a reference to the sun, number one. It's like he's literally saying the Son of Man that's in here is, going, is coming in the clouds of heaven. Where's the heaven? Where's the high place? Where's the right here? Okay. Eventually, you will have to see that. This is the words spoken to Jesus that got him arrested. I want you all to pay attention. Okay? How long have I been saying that the people that run this world are specifically Antichrist? Meaning the people that, the, the powers that should not be, the, the World Economic Forum and the Davos Forum and the blah, 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 all these, all the, right, the UN and the Council on Foreign Relations and the Bilderberg Group and the Trilateral Commission. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the documents. All, all of those groups are specifically Antichrist. Have I, have I not said, if you guys haven't watched the video, um, the 9-11 and the, it's on uh, GnosticAcademy.org. Uh, 9-11 and the, um, the, the Las Vegas shootings. If you've not seen that, and I show how that, all of that is specifically an Antichrist ritual, you know, that sort of thing. So I've been saying this is Antichrist for a long time. All of these people are specifically Antichrist. Did I make my point? Okay, now, Mark 14, 62. And Jesus says this. And Jesus said, comma. This is what Jesus says. And this is the thing that gets him arrested. I want you to pay attention. This is the thing. These are the words that got Jesus Christ arrested and ultimately killed. He says this. And Jesus said, I am, colon, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. This is, these are the words that got Jesus arrested. This sums to 322. I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Now, there's nothing wrong with the number 322. In fact, what Jesus is saying is spot on, right? There's nothing wrong. This is coming out of Jesus' mouth. This is the truth. So we have 322. So there's, so that's 322. That's pretty interesting. 322 is also found in John 14, 6. Where Jesus saith unto him, this is the entire verse, not just what Jesus said, but this is the entire verse. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That equals 322. Uh, Patriot astrologer, equinox, yeah. We also see 322 in your hand. So when we, when we look at our hand, we go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Of course, you start from what? Zero. So zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. There were 14 stations, by the way, of the cross. So when they arrest him and then they finally take him and they drag him up to a cross, there's 14 stations of that cross. Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 in English gematria equals 322. So, John 14, 6, 322, 0 through 14, 322. And then we have the words, Jesus, when he gets arrested, equaling 322. When, when we look at this stuff, do you really think that, you know, what was in 2004, 
what is it, Bush and Kerry, Bonesmen, went and they, you know, head to head and they're fighting for, you know, uh, the most powerful position on the planet or in the world or whatever, president, right? They were both from this organization. Do you really think that Skull and Bones has anything to do with Christ, has anything to do with humanity, has anything to do with, you know, uh, pushing humanity forward and love and care and all of that sort of stuff? No, clearly not. So what does 322 mean to these guys? What do you think it means to these guys? So those are the words that Jesus said that got him arrested and ultimately killed, and that equals 322, and this is the number that these, these folks use. And they're working full-time, 100% full-time, against humanity. And they just happen to have a number that is the thing that Jesus said right before he was arrested and killed? Probably one of those coincidences, one of those dinks. Probably is just a bunch of math mumbo jumbo. Anyway, so um, there's that. So there's Jesus and uh, what he's saying. And then, then the high priest rents his clothes and say, what need we any further witnesses? He just rents, just basically grabs his clothes and says, hey, do we need any further witnesses? Look, he just said, he just said it. I am. Ye have heard the blasphemy. And his, his blasphemy is what? When he says, I am, colon, what is he saying? The divine spark is within me. And they're saying, blasphemy. And then they all condemned him to be guilty of death. He's saying, I am the spark, the divine spark that's within you. There, not only do we see that they're denying it, after he said it, he's like, we need to kill him now. And this is how much they hate him. This is how much they hate him. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, prophecy. Like, you know, basically, oh, look at you now, Jesus. Jesus already prophesied what was going to happen, though. He already knew, just as we know, that the sun is going to be dead for three days in winter. And we also know that it's going to rise again. He knew what was going on. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when he saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and, and said, Thou, and thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. You were also with the truth and the way and the life. You were following him. You're guilty too. You're one of those people that recognizes that God's within. Oh, we can't have that. When, he, uh, when she saw Peter warming himself, oh, you're with Jesus of Nazareth. By the way, Nazareth equals 27 in English Gematria. Jesus equals 27 in English Gematria. Lamb of God equals 27 in English Gematria. But when he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou, what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. Sorry, I'm going to finish this up here. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. This is one of those guys that were going out and teaching everybody that they had God within them. We got to stop this guy here. He's, he's telling the truth. He's following the truth in the life. And he denied it again. And after a little, they stood by him. They said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean. Galilean. And thy speech agree there too. But he began to curse and to swear. Think about this. It's like, no, 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 that, that, blah, blah, blah. I know not this man of whom ye speak, because he's completely denying Christ. 
And just as Christ said, you'll deny me thrice. And the second time, the cock crew, and Peter called to mind that the word that Jesus said unto him, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. He's like, he cried. It's like Jesus was right. He knew the entire time. We would all abandon him. He was going to have to go it alone. Why? Well, we know why. He set the template so that everybody that would pick up their cross and follow him after that would know the path, would know the script, would know what to do. And it says in 70, it says, And a little after they stood by said again to Peter, Surely out thou one of them, for thou art a Galilean. You're one of those Galileans, right? You're a follower of Christ. What is Galilean? Galilee means wheel, revolution, region, rolling, to roll or encircle. The word Galilee, though, is, is made up of two, two words. We've covered this. Gale, which means a mad, frantic, or bewitched wind. Gale force winds. Inside joke between my wife and I. Gale force winds. They're mad, frantic winds. That's what a gale is. And what is a lee? A lee is uh, literally a calm or sheltered place, a place defended from the wind. Under the lee denotes properly in the part a place defended from the wind. So you have the gale, which is a gale force wind, and then you have a lee, which is protection from that wind. Now, when we look at, as we covered last live stream, the wheel of time, what are those winds? What is the winds of time? That's the turning of the wheel of time. The wheel, which is literally what Galilee means. Wheel, revolution, the revolution of time. That's winds that are going around and around and around and around and around and around and around. And Christ is saying, no, you got to find me right in the center of the whole thing. That's still place in the center. Well, everything is whipping around. Gale force winds. You find me in the center and sit there and be still and know that I am the Lord God. So they're saying, he's one of these people that know where the center is. He's from Galilee. He's from that place that's sheltered from the wind. The bosom, the center of Christ. He's one of those guys. We need to stop him. And why does, why does the riddle of the cock crow twice? Why is it a cock? Why, does they, why is there a reference to roosters here? Because what does the rooster do? It announces the sun. And what were we saying? Why does Jesus know the script? Because he knows what the sun does every, every day and every year. It dies and is reborn. All right. How do we do? 154 watching. Thank you very much. Smash that like button. Smash it. Or like press it nice and gently just with a little tap. And um, that helps with the algorithms because, you know, I'm part of the algorithms of YouTube. <laughs> Doesn't help anything. Anyway, thank you all for joining me today. Um, head on over to Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. And I, I don't know if uh, he has a new one. No. He doesn't, but that's okay. So you can go over there anyway or not. Or you can go to GnosticAcademy.org and you can become a member for five bucks a month, 14 quarterly or 54 for the year. Um, and you can also get all the new stuff we've got. By the way, I don't know if I mentioned this. Um, I think I did. Once again, I'll just mention it again. We do have uh, Bibles and Rosary package. I do have the new book coming out very, very soon. Hopefully next month. Should be next month. And then Peacock's Tales, of course, um, 
Lord Jesus Christ, all of that stuff. Um, yeah, and that should do it. Um, I'll say this. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. All right, next week, we only have two more chapters of Mark to do, which is insane. So um, I guess I'll just keep doing that. Um, Tommy the Pete, my bird. Tommy the Pete. Yes. Um, there's some people that don't know that reference. They're listening. was like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Jesus, my Lord. I got to stop listening to him. I know. Tommy. Truth Hurts too knows. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so um, two more chapters or two more, um, yeah, chapters to do in the book. And then, I don't know after that. Like I said, lots of stuff to cover. So I want to do the Vedas. I want to do North stuff. I want to do the astrology. Got a whole list, so I'm not sure. But um, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate everybody stopping by. And if you get a chance, stop on over to GnosticAcademy.org and uh, become a member. Become a member of the, the fellowship and, and help a brother out. Um, it's definitely worth the five bucks a month, I, I, I think. So, by the way, I will say this. Um, I don't want to ramble too much. I appreciate your time. Um, if anybody has any billing issues or any issues at the site whatsoever, um, we've, we've had some glitches every once in a while where somebody will be double-charged. It'll create two accounts for some reason, especially on PayPal, and we're trying to figure it out. If anything like that happens, get back to us. We will take care of you 100%. 100%. If you've signed up for several months and you're like, Marty, this is crap. I don't like it. I'll give you your money back. We want 100% we want of the people to be 100% satisfied when they come to that website. Any issues that you have whatsoever, get to us, and we will take care of you, okay? Get to my web guy. He's great. He gets back to people right away, and I, I'm very appreciative of that. So, um, and, well, like I said, any issues whatsoever, email me, info at GnosticAcademy.org, info at GnosticAcademy.org, and we will take care of you, okay? Um, so there's that. Okay, I'm going to play uh, one song. It's called The Whistle, The Call, and The Cry, and this is off my first record. Opus Medico Musica is the record, and um, it's a good one. I think my mom likes this one. So, Mom, if you're listening, enjoy all right, guys. I will see you next week. Uh, same bad time, same bad channel, same bad place. You know the you know the whole thing. All right, that's gonna do it for me, guys. Have a, yourselves a wonderful Sunday. Okay, as always, many blessings and much love to all. Orion be my stars tonight Fields grow anew with the spring of life In this sheath of truth will I wrap myself tight The landscape it goes for miles The myths of old they breathe in me life Strength comes to those who attest their mind. Purity is a blinding light so bright, guiding us to the highest of heights. Running with the wolves and chasing the sun. Sometimes the moments can catch you undone. I see the great spirit in 
the birds that fly in the whistle, the call and the cry. In the whistle, the call and the cry. Cold wind, lift me on your wings. Fully satisfied in what our mother brings. My thirst is quenched by all the songs you sing. Heaping tables fit for kings. Running with the wolves and chasing the sun. Sometimes the moments can catch you undone. I see the great spirit in the birds that fly In the whistle, the call and the cry Be my quest, the noblest of plights. My soul cries aloud, all our pain and strife. What is the still magnetic light? Running with the wolves and chasing the sun. Sometimes the moments can catch you undone. See the great spirit in the birds that fly In the whistle, the call and the cry In the whistle, the call and the cry In the whistle, the call and the cry